Hey, this is Yuri Vaughn, and you're in the dummy room. Dummy up. Whatever you do, don't fall. Coming to get you, Barbara. Here. <laughs> Real cute. Hey, everybody. You're in the dummy room. This is Jody Havnot. Joined, as always, by Nasty Nate Demolition on Halloween. Trick or treat. <laughs> What's up, dude? Nothing much, man. Happy Halloween to you. Same to you. Yes, sir. Um, super excited about tonight, man. One of those bucket list episodes for us, you know. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Frank. Yeah. Um, we'll be here. I say that with a little hesitation. We've had a little bit of a, uh, some bad luck getting him on. We've had some technical issues a couple of times. So Tonight's the night. Tonight's the night. Anyways. Um, Dude, so today I watched the fucking Misfits. You know, they sold out Madison Square Garden, which is oh, unheard yeah. of. You know? Did they have the pumpkins? Yeah, they Did had they the have pumpkins. <laughs> Those are so stupid. I don't mind them, man. I don't like them. They're on the back of the Halloween 7 inch. We've been through this. I know, I know, but <laughs> cool. I just think they look dumb. Have you seen that uh, Ernest goes to a Misfits reunion show? No. It's, oof. it's like, yeah, they show them on stage, and then he's like popping out of the pumpkin in the back. <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. It is hilarious. So you watched it, you said? Well, like on YouTube or what? Yeah, man. Someone posted the whole damn show on YouTube. I really? just kind of scanned through it, but dude, it was pretty fucking cool, man. It was like kind of making the inner 12-year-old of me pretty happy to see these guys, you know. No one expects a fucking punk rock band, especially as a band like the Misfits, to be playing a sold-out show at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, that's, that's shit, crazy. You know, Prince or The Who or, you know, you 2 play their Kiss. You know, yeah. I mean, not some punk rock band that pressed 2,000 copies of one of their great singles in the 70s, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's cool, and the and the people there, you know how every song's got a lot of woeage. The whole fucking place is woeing it up. Dude. Oh yeah, can you imagine? It was. It was I had a big ass smile on my face this afternoon checking that out. <laughs> um, they're playing uh, like in Philly, uh, an arena in Philly too. Like yeah, this year yet. If they come to St. Louis, I'm going, dude. I don't care. Oh, I think it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I suppose I, I would go. I could have went to Chicago. That's five hours. I mean, I've had my chances, but I don't care that much. <laughs> but if they come here, I'm going, dude. <laughs> dude, you know, when I was a kid, like, you know, 12, 13, the Misfits were big for me. You know what I mean? One of my yeah. all-time favorites. It was, like, perfect for me at that age. I fucking love it. Yeah. I hate, I hate what it's become, but I love it still. Of course, they're going to top the uh, any kind of Halloween list for us. just sort of has to be done. Pretty obvious yeah great stuff so the other night i was i was sitting up and i was doing some work and shit and i i don't know i was i scrolling through to see what's on tv and um you ever seen that movie war of the worlds with tom cruise oh yeah man yeah so i love that movie right and uh so they had the second one on i didn't realize that there was a sequel to it there's a sequel yeah, it had Pony Boy. No shit. Uh, Thomas C. Howell on it. 
And it was like his movie. The fucking movie's horrible, but I'm watching it. I'm kind of in and out. I'm on my phone. But wait I'm, a second, though. What? So if there's a part two, what, the fucking aliens brought antibiotics for themselves this time? Like, what? How? Um. Well, they just sort of just started showing back up. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So... So I'm I'm not really paying attention. Well, I end up falling asleep, <laughs> and I wake up, and I come through, and I'm looking at the TV, and all of a sudden there's a fucking clown in him on it. Oh shit! Did he have a fucking hacksaw, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this movie got good, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then I fell back asleep. Well, I had fallen asleep so long that the next movie came on, which was Gacy. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was so out of it that I thought, you know, end of the world had clowns killer clowns or something so well <laughs> fucking, fucking Casey, dumb man what <laughs> creep well a little bit yeah <laughs> so um i kind of want to get into this um so we got dr frank here obviously i'm we're both huge mr t fans yeah and mr um, t experience the band you know i've been listening <laughs> i every once in a while i i yeah i i try to go back you know i just i want oh, i want to listen to mtx or whatever band and i i go and i look and i'm like ah and i always end up you know nine times out of ten it's love is dead you know yeah because it's like i just want to hear that record you know but i've been trying to go back and listen to other stuff and you know sometimes it's like man some of this even the older shit it's so good yet you know I don't know. I sometimes I, I don't even have to be in the mood anymore. It just strikes me, you know. When I was a kid, I liked it a lot more, and now I'm like, I don't know. I'm like reverting back to that. That's I guess cool. somehow, you know. Um, but yeah, still, I still, re, you know, always grab on to "Love Is Dead" or "And the Women," and you know, yeah, like the those women. are the ones. Revenge is big with me too, though, man. Yeah, revenge is great. Um, we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago when we almost had Frank on. Yeah. And so I started listening to that a lot more and it's, yeah, that record is just, you know, it's so cool that, you know, right off of love is dead. The, the album starts with some real bangers, you know, definitely.
and then they get they do the you know some weird kind of country stuff happening with the slide guitar and shit you know yeah. that solo you know what i'm talking yeah. about and um you know you can kind of you hear love is dead but you kind of hear that you know that next stage of of the mystery experience which would you know alcatraz yeah. and stuff you can kind of hear that transition but yeah revenge is it's great record oh, hell yeah. and as far as our our uh Dr. Frankisms or MTXisms, it's just um Steeped yeah. in it on that record, man. The lyrics. <laughs> They're I mean, all over. Those lyrics to that album are probably some of his best work, you know? Yeah. I think. So you know, I got this thing with uh with uh Ba 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 that I don't know how to say it. and I'm not gonna ask him. I'm just not gonna do it. But um You gotta say it like the to. like the melody of it. <laughs> it makes well I more know sense. Because the song, I mean, if you so I got this thing, like, like, can you imagine, like, so he may, maybe he goes to, like, a wedding w- with his wife. Okay. And he meets, or the first time he meets, like, her uncles or something, you know, her family, and he has to explain to them what he does for a living, yeah. you know? Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a musician or whatever, and they might ask, oh, you know, is any songs that I, you know, what's your biggest hit or something like that, you know? And can you imagine if he... <laughs> was in a position like that and he had to say ba 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 yeah i think he would <laughs> it just go with like cool. oh and i will be with you that was biggest yeah. hit. <laughs> it, it only sounds easy. cool if he could sing it you know when he sings it it's brilliant right but it's a really weird title to say but i thought it'd be cool like if you if you had like a um like a radio station used to do those request and dedications <laughs> can you yeah. imagine like this, this is song Casey goes out, and, this song goes out yeah. to amber from jody right he loves you with all of his heart here is baba baba ba. <laughs> you know it just <laughs> it loses sort of the uh the momentum there that's funny but i'm not gonna bug him about it but um yeah i just what a cool thing but it's such a I don't know how do you say it you know <laughs> right maybe he'll hear this afterward and then he'll yeah you I never know. know it's gonna be cool to have talked to frank you know i mean been listening to this dude forever it feels like and uh you know mtx one of those big bands it was like lookout records to me it was always like weasel queers mtx ghoulies you know what i mean those were the big four yeah well um i, I always thought everything about uh, Mr. T experience was cool, you know, just the imagery, you know, the album covers, n- they were never the same. Everything was always different. They were on the cover, they were off the cover, uh, a girl's on the cover, uh, lunchboxes, you know, weird fucking crayon drawing of Mr. T. Yeah. You know? I always just felt like they were just a little bit more clever than the average punk rock band. Oh, you know what well, I mean? He's, He's a little bit smarter than <laughs> the average. Uh, it was like a little, dude, so. a little higher shelf, you know, than the average band. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's like MTX were just a little bit more advanced than the average bands, even bands we love like Weasel and shit. You know, it's great stuff, and you know, there's just a, a little more heady, uh, like a sophistication. There you go. That's a but better. But not way even to say not it. just lyrically, but musically. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, even to the early stuff, Frank's a you know, the songsmith dude, he's like a master crafter of this stuff. I mean, you know, I'm gonna ask him a little bit later if I can, if I can get it in. I'm gonna ask about his method because I've always been curious because I think he's one of the best. Well, clearly one of the best. I mean, I've 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 
heard him talk about it before about how his his process is it it's not quick right. you know it's it's not uh last week ray ray was saying um him and brandon went out and they wrote you know maverick in like 10 minutes they got high and wrote maverick in 10 minutes yeah yeah <laughs> um that one's pretty uh, fucking Frank's clever not, too. Sometimes, I mean, it just depends on the person and their method. You know what I mean? But I'm, I, yeah. I definitely want to know about his. It's gonna be cool. But, I'm looking forward know, to this. His man. songs are not; they're not getting churned out in ten minutes. I wouldn't think so. I mean, <laughs> it, the lyrics alone seems like that'd be the hardest part. I mean, yes, yeah, really thought out. You know, well thought out concepts in a lot of these songs, and on the surface, you might not even pick up onto it until you really hear it enough to really absorb it you know what i mean There's yeah a lot of layers in there it's really fucking cool i mean like i said he's one of the greatest that ever did it in our scene you know yeah what what one thing that i always thought was pretty cool was just looking at the song titles you can't you know like a lot of times bands will have like one word or they'll have the parentheses they'll have um just a goofy ass fucking title yeah. you know where it doesn't make any sense ergs you know what i'm talking about <laughs> um he he his songs are all over the place. Like sometimes, you know, it's a short title, it's a long title, it's the actual like "I fell for you." It's this, you know what I'm saying? Right. And then I don't know. It's just really weird. Like there's no, you know, a lot of layers to everything about his songs, from the titles to the actual music yeah. to lyrics. So it's great shit, man. I haven't seen them in a long fucking time. Neither have I. And I mean, I and they I don't played remember. here not even that long ago, and I I couldn't make it. They've played in my town one time. They played here on the Yesterday Rules tour, yeah, two thousand four, and they played the, uh, the the warehouse here, the All Ages Club. And I remember going. Uh, Yesterday's kids opened up, which was cool. Right on. But I remember being there and being surprised at how <laughs> this is going to sound terrible, but I was surprised at how many people were there. Because my town has never been, um, you know, the hub for pop punk. Right. Um, I think, I think in 90, 95 to ninety seven they would have done uh, well here, but in two thousand four, eh, you know, to play here, I thought it was kind of weird. But um, there was actually it was a really really good crowd, and um, yeah, it was really cool to see. I mean, it was co- it's always cool to see a band that you love in your town. Right. <laughs> that you don't have to travel for. But to see people show up was actually even cooler. Oh, yeah. It's icing on but the cake. That was, dude, that was 15 years ago. So <laughs> so crazy when you start looking at the time links. I mean, think about it. MTX uh, has been around longer than the Ramones were. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you know? That's yeah, crazy. well, all of our hero bands are like that now. Queers and diesel, yeah. but nuts isn't it yeah but you know he there was a long time there i mean it was a period where it was like every two years he was putting out records yeah and books you know, in between the, you know yeah and then you know right around the 2000 mark he definitely slowed down and then stopped <laughs> you right. know so but it's so cool because we've been having all this cool shit lately yeah you know he's cool. very active yeah, uh, on social cool. media so there's always videos, um, you know, he, he just, um, he's making sure that we don't forget, <laughs> <There> you <go. laughs> which, you know, it's, it's 
will never, you know, one of the greats, you know. Yeah. Um, Still have one of my favorite singles was the Gun Crazy record. Yeah. Still to the day, that is like a top five, seven inch for me. There were things I could have told you, but you've heard them all before. And you look so calm and peaceful when you pass out on the floor. Swallow everything. Swallow everything. You're the pillow with the poison. You're the hammer of the pearl. You're the alcohol girl in an alcohol world. Swallow everything. those fucking songs i mean there's three classics totally so i always thought it was cool too and i might bring it up but i always thought it was cool that um they 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 always recorded with the same guy you know kevin army you know yeah so it was kind of like because at that time mass you know sonic iguana everybody was recording there and there was that sound and um they just sort of never left what they did i always thought that was cool yeah I think it'd be cool to get Kevin Army sometime on the show. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I don't know. I don't know what. I mean, he did all that lookout shit, didn't he? Pretty sure. Well, all the early lookout stuff, you know. Definitely did a lot of it. Yeah. Cool, you know. That would the be shit cool. That that guy's um, seen and heard, you know. You know, a lot of the history is the Mr. T experience. Doctor Frank's uh, been through a lot with that stuff, so we should just talk to him. I'll just stop blabbing and let's do it. Okay. We have news for the beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, 
why don't you just come down here and join us, okay? All right, we're here with uh, Dr. Frank. How you doing? I'm doing well. I think we already did this part. <laughs> I'm fine. You're fine. Everyone's fine. Everybody's <laughs> good. It's a, it's a it's a great night for a podcast. Yeah. So so Frank, uh, Jody and I have been fans since at least 93, 94 for both of us. Um, but it seems like the last year or two, there's been so much activity from, you know, either the, the, the records, the, the, the best ofs. There's always, every week there's a new shirt, a new sticker, uh, new videos all the time. Um, it's so cool. Well, I'm glad that somebody's paying attention to it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, the, you, it's a weird, uh, you know, we, we took... I, I took 10 years off from rock and roll music, uh, starting after, you know, after the yesterday rules tour and mm-hmm. I wrote some books and such and didn't start again, uh, till 2014. And I wasn't really sure what was going to happen, uh, when we started doing things again. And it, it was mainly, we got together to play at this one book release show at a record store and uh, it was fun enough and seemed like it was working enough so that we decided to do more things. And uh, I surprised myself by enjoying it as much as I did. I stopped doing it with a whole lot of negative feelings about it because uh, being in a band is you, you guys probably have bands. It's not it's not all fun and games. And uh, <laughs> I was, you know, it was I would I really had the feeling I'm not going to do this again. Um, but it turns out that I missed it. And then as is often the case in life, you start doing things and, uh, that creates the space for more opportunities to do more things to come up. And that's basically what happened. Uh, and I'm having, I'm having fun with it. I'm not sure, uh, how, I don't think there are vast throngs of people paying attention, but, uh, it is, uh, as a, I've, I kind of declared myself to be the archivist and preservationist of the so-called legacy of the Mr. T experience. And so I've been working on it, spending quite a lot of time and effort on it, uh, because I think it's, you know, if, if I don't do it, no one will do it. And it's, uh, like the, the last shot to do it. So, um, I've got a sort of a, uh, I don't know, almost a, uh, ideological attitude towards it in a way. That's cool. Yeah. So the, um, the, the shards volumes and the next, the best of double LP, whatever's coming, all the new stuff is, is that kind of being driven from you or is that kind of sounds rad kind of like pushing you to do stuff? Cause they're huge fans. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean, yeah, definitely. Chris of sounds rad was a, a big fan. Um, but it was one of those things that kind of developed accidentally. Uh, I wanted, you know, we recorded the album that went along with the King Dork books for the, mainly as just a promotional gimmick for Mm -hmm. the paperback release of King Dork approximately. And, uh, the important thing for me in doing that was it was basically a, a self-release kind of a vanity project, uh, more or less. And the challenge was to make it seem as real as possible. And, uh, so I wanted to have 
it not just be a download, but to have some physical presence. And uh, Chris uh, seemed like he knew how to put out records. So we, I, you know, he just agreed to do the uh, an LP of the King Dork approximately the album. And then in the course of talking about that, we, you know, there, we discovered other things that we might want to try to do. And, uh, the, the, the idea, a lot of these things we're doing now, the ideas, the idea of doing them goes back a long way, but the difference between having an idea to do something and then actually making it happen is, uh, they're two very different things. I first started thinking about shards and, uh, uh, you know, best of type collection back in, uh, at least the, you know, 2010 or so. And, it was mostly a fantasy and then, but Chris provided a way to uh, make it happen. And I thought that we would do it and then that would be the last thing we'd do. But then he always had another idea. And uh, then in the process, it got interesting because uh, I had to uh, go through this process of assembling the tapes, which was not straightforward. They were scattered in a lot of different places and uh, that process sort of enforce the idea that it was important to do something with this stuff before it completely disintegrated. And so, uh, we've been, uh, we figured out a way to, I, I mean, it's this project of re-releasing everything is, you know, restoring, so to speak, everything is going to take years and years and years. And I don't know if we'll get there, but, uh, <laughs> we're trying to do it properly, which means it takes a lot longer and requires, takes a lot more steps than it would be if we were doing it quick and dirty, but that's what is the fun part for me. So, so, so do you go ahead, Nate? Oh, I was just going to ask you, did you, did you own all those tapes or did you that's have to get Lookout say, you to have the masters or what? Yeah. When Lookout finally gave up the final ghost, I mean, it, it had, it went through several phases of decreased activity after it was basically all over. Mm-hmm. Um, but when the final, when, you know, the final, I don't want to say death knell, but when it, they finally uh, dissolved, uh, they gave the ownership of the tapes to the bands. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's not the case with a lot of, uh, with a lot of labels, uh, and a lot of people can't really re you know, re-release their old stuff because of that. Yeah. Uh, but the, the downside of having such a nice, cool people running your record label uh is that it was not super organized and i at when it first happened and i said okay you know i got this letter saying here's the tapes but i didn't have physical possession of them and i don't know if you guys can picture the sheer mass of that many tapes but it's shockingly (laughs) massive are they on like Uh, one inch masters or two inch masters or what so they're all different uh, tape formats. There's there's dats. There's two inch. You know, there's okay. the two inch multi track reels. Right on a on a record like um, you know, Love Is Dead. There are probably you know seven or eight of those. Yeah, and then all the reels, the mix down reels, and you know, thirty years of recording. There's a lot of stuff, right. and I naively thought that what would happen is. I mean, and I didn't have it. There was some of it was in Chris's garage. Some of it was in 
his ex-wife's garage. Some of it was uh, in a warehouse that was hard to get access to. And then it finally got transferred to somebody else's garage. But I didn't really think about it that much uh, in the when it first happened. I just thought, one day, maybe if I'm ever going to do some kind of a reissue, I'll just call the appropriate person um, and say, uh, I would like the Love is Dead tapes. And then they would just say, okay, here they are. <laughs> but in fact, they were just these bins and nobody knew what was in them. Um, and then the way that I finally got physical possession of them was when uh, they were doing that uh, Turn It Around documentary. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, did you see that? That's the East Bay punk yeah. story, right? So um, that was the headquarters of that Corbett, the guy who was the director of that uh, of that film, sort of set up a like the film headquarters at that studio, the Green Day's studio in Jingletown in Oakland, uh, that used to be Studio uh, 880, and that's where they did all their interviews, and that's where they did. They, it was it was the headquarters, and they basically. Uh, just got from all the different locations, they got all these bins of tapes because they had this idea. I think that they were going to do more with them. They were going to make soundtrack records and they were going to do these things with the original tapes. And uh, I think Chris Applegren was very pleased that uh, his various garages were uh, getting emptied of these tapes. I don't, I live in a tiny apartment. I don't have any room for anything. Um, but so when the film was all over, uh, I was a bit surprised to get a call from Corbett saying, okay, we're coming over with your tapes. And he and a bunch of flunkies just drove this big, like a U-Haul truck up to my house wow. and just like, it was like just, bin after bin after bin after bin after bin um and it was i'd never seen it all before uh <laughs> in one place and it was shocking um i didn't have i didn't know where to put it i didn't know i didn't know what to do with it um and then the next surprise was i mean they i stacked them up in my apartment and kind of you know just they became like just a you know the the floor area of the apartment reduced they were like an extra wall and then i didn't think about them for a few years and then when it finally came to uh you know we were gonna start trying to do something with these tapes which i have every right to do they're my tapes i can put put out the put out records of them and everything and then i realized that they were completely out of order it was a total mess and there was no way to tell what was there and what was missing. And the thing with mislabeled or poorly labeled tapes is you can't just put them on and listen to it. Right. Those machines, they're, they're, it's rare to yeah, have a they're functioning hard to find, machine. Dude. And so it became this big, uh, uh, a, a much bigger can of worms than I expected. So then I went into this archivist mode and I was, you know, being a kind of tape detective and, you know, <laughs> comparing the the type of pen and the type of handwriting that was squib- scribbled on one to another one to think this, and this was in a bin nearby this other tape. So maybe this go, and I still don't, with the multi-track masters we haven't listened to yet. Uh, and um, I don't know, uh, 
I know that some, a lot of them are unfortunately missing, but I did manage to get almost all of the original two track mixtapes with a few exceptions. Um, but they were scattered everywhere. And in a couple of cases, uh, they're only, they were only preserved because they got these two albums got kicked under a couch at George Horn's <laughs> mastering room at fantasy back in the early nineties. Yeah. Uh, and so I called all these studios I had, a, I figured out what was missing. I called all these studios we were at to say, Hey, you wouldn't happen to have any tapes from my band from 25 years ago. And they would all, you know, laugh. We got rid of our tapes a long time ago. I don't know what to tell you, buddy. You should have taken your tapes on the day, which I agree we should have. I, didn't have anything to do with that and i should have paid more attention but it wasn't my job there was a producer there was a label there was all this they were supposed to take care of that and they sort of did but sort of didn't um <laughs> and uh but most of the time there i i didn't have any luck with any of the <clears throat> studios except for george horn but he emailed me back and said i think i might be able to help you give me a call so i called him and so the Everybody's Entitled and the Night Shift albums were only preserved because they couldn't, they didn't see them to throw them away. <laughs> although, although George George Horn said he he doesn't throw away masters, I believe him. But that's we're just lucky that uh, no one ever cleaned under that couch, and <laughs> there's still. So th this has been, it's consumed my life for the past, you know, couple years since. I realized that uh, that it would have to be done. I mean, you can re-release records in the cheap and stupid way, uh, of, you know, where you just master from a CD, yeah. and that's what most people do. Uh, and it's cheap, and that would be the way to make money from this. If I just, you know, took the Love Is Dead CD and said, uh, you know. Uh, master from this probably make a quick buck there'd be there's a market for that i'm sure yeah but it's i don't see the value in doing it that way i want to do it proper and that involves a lot of steps uh you know the tapes are even when you find the machine uh you you don't know whether they'll play yeah you might have to bake them and all that shit right yeah you have to you have to bake them uh we have a we had a audio preservationist named Jessica Thompson who uh, delivered the uh, the relevant tapes for the uh, for the um, MTX forever and she they all played um, she had to she had to bake most of them and she did she did it in a little in a food dryer which is <laughs> but you know when George Horn when we did the re the uh, the remix of uh, the Night Shift record, George Horn baked that tape with a hairdryer. No shit. And I, I remember he pulled out this hairdryer and he's like, I was like, what, uh, what is, what are you doing, you know, with, with that? And he says, this is known as baking. And so but she, she used a food dryer. Um, and hmm. I saw what happened. I mean, when you don't bake it, you could, you, they put the reel on the, the machine and just, like shards of tape are just flying off. Wow. So it's, it's just like too brittle or something. Yeah. It just, it just degrades. Uh, it's, it, yeah, it's, um, 
I think the baking, I don't know. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think the baking <laughs> kind of melts it a little bit. I mean, because the point, the information is encoded magnetically, so it's not the it's not the physical thing that matters. But it just needs to have the magnetic information go through the the heads. Right. So you, if you can, I, and th- anyway, I don't know how they figured <laughs> that out. The first person who was confronted with a disintegrating tape said, "Hey, I know. Let's, let's put it, it in the oven. You know, <laughs> three fifty for then, twenty minutes. <laughs> there are actually baking engineers." Uh, but we went to an all-in-one shop. She did it. She did a really good job with the with the transferring. Uh, but it was a big job, it's expensive job, and it was very time-consuming. And we still are wrestling with it. Uh, the Mentex Forever was largely well. It was it just, putting out records is fun, and it was a thing to do that was fun. That's the main point. But it was also meant to be an experiment to see what would happen with all of these various tapes and the recordings uh, and you know, what would happen uh, if we did make them into records. So what we have is a test case of tracks from the entire gamut of all the different formats. And uh, that's what we uh, have been mastering over the past few months. It's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. You own the masters too, because you could do like, you know how the Ramones do these reissues where they're putting different demo versions and different mixes on classic songs and shit. I mean, that's super cool. Yeah. We, you know, that, that one of the problems is that there's this, there's such a step between deciding you want to find out what's on a tape and actually finding out what's on a tape. Right. <laughs> and so we, there's a lot, I don't know. Um, there, we took, I identified, the main albums and singles that were there, there were some, there was, there's a, uh, some, some gaps, but we just took the ones that were, uh, like the, were, you know, relevant to this project and the offshoot project, which projects, which are reissuing those albums, uh, where those mixes are, you know, are, going to be the ones that we, we, you know, use the same mixes. And, uh, so I, I forgot what I was saying. What was your question again? What was the last question you said? I was just saying, I thought it was super cool that you actually have the masters and can do whatever you want with it. Because all that, the, the, whatever (laughs) extra stuff is on there, I don't know. And I didn't hear, but I guess what I was getting at is we only partially did, we didn't, it would have been taken too long and been too expensive to just do it all in a big bunch so we narrowed it down and that means there's a lot of stuff that i don't know i doubt there's a lot of great stuff that um there's some surprises even in what we did transfer but uh i don't remember a lot of um alternate versions or interesting outtakes although man with revenge is sweet there were something like I don't know, 14 mix reels. Wow. There were, you know, like seven or eight mixes of, of some of those songs. And that's another thing that we didn't transfer yet, but some of those might be interesting. Yeah. I'd be super interested in that, man. Hell yeah. That's cool. So, so when you were doing the, uh, the, you did the poll, the double LP poll mm-hmm. of what songs should be on there and stuff was, that was a really cool idea. Um, did you like, 
you know, the the final, do you like what's going to be on it? Yeah, I, well, I do. (laughs) Was anything left off that you were kind of surprised that it didn't make the, uh, well, no, because, um, you know, I mean, it was, the public was in a, was in an advise and consent (laughs) position. Um, and you know, I, it was interesting to see what they had to say. It didn't surprise me at all what the, you know, when you tally up the, the results and some people had some interesting sequences, that's the hard part. Um, but you know, I had to, uh, some of the parameters that I had to, uh, work with as, I don't know, I, I did go into it a bit in my essays that I wrote about it that nobody Mm -hmm. read. Um, but you know, (laughs) there, there's a, there, there are, parameters and pathways that are involved in the in a in making a vinyl record that uh kind of influence what you can put where Mm -hmm. and uh, you know how long it can be and what sorts of of uh of sounds you can have on the inner grooves and you know so forth so um i what what i wanted it to be was something that if someone said what is this band i could hand them this thing and say that's what it this is what it is and that means that it's not all it's not everybody's uh favoritist songs and i know people are going to be disappointed but sounds pretty it sounds great and they are they are all good songs so uh but you know there are people who have their own uh idea you know some people uh, they want all of love is dead, they, right? They want all of love is dead. <laughs> but there, there are, there are other people that are, uh, very much, you know, pre nineties people as well, believe it or not. Right on. Um, and you know, I just, we, this, this band has a very long history and it's had its ups and downs, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like the Beatles, like your art evolved through the years, right? Exactly like the Beatles. Um, and <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I, it was a, it was an experiment in a lot of ways. I listened when I listened to it, I think it, uh, it sounds, uh, like a cohesive album, which is actually pretty surprising and, and challenging to think of, you know, uh, it's a, it's 30 years of, of uh, you know more than 30 years of recording various lineups various circumstances and to make it sound like an album is i uh, that was my worry is that it would not but i think it does and um i i don't know i think that uh i expect the small circle of of people that care about such things to appreciate it in the spirit in which it's offered but i'm sure that they'll you know people will complain that their favorite one isn't on it yeah and but i mean all those same people have those other records that these songs come from anyway you know what i mean so there's well, really right. nothing and to complain give, about and we're we're trying to give a flavor of what it's going to be like when we release those when we reissue those albums okay so like if you know the the people that really like love is dead they will hear i don't know four songs or something like that from love is dead in the in this remastered context right and you know if we as i 
as I quipped on the internet, you know, if we just did a <laughs> double album of Revenge is Sweet and Love is Dead, then there there would be no point in reissuing those records, which yeah. we you know, we we're going we want to cover the entire right. gamut. But this I the the idea of doing a compilation was sort of a way to kind of test things out, you know, dip a toe in the water and see um, what it involves, like a trial run, basically. Yeah. Um, and we've used, uh, there's something from every major release on the in the sequence. And uh, it was a challenging thing to do. It was fun to hear people's uh, suggestions, but it's also not a surprise, but it's also kind of funny how, how personal people take these things. Like there were some, you know, there were some... <laughs> angry people some some very <laughs> sad people i got some very sad lists i know you won't put this on but i really <laughs> like you know <laughs> i really like swiss army girlfriend i don't know why oh yeah that's stop, a brighter stop hassling me you know it's <laughs> yeah she's the sickest chick i've ever known i take her with me wherever i go to open all my fears and open all my fears And to never ever leave me alone She's tight and shiny and bright Almost too sharp but not quite She does it all somehow, she's in my pocket now But I'm gonna take her out tonight She's my Swiss Army girlfriend to lose Swiss Army girlfriend to lose She's loading up her end And she's all mine So I got a valentine to send Draw a diagram When I'm out I lock her in a jam She can get me hot And out of tight spots And she's ready whenever I am She slices, dices and more She can handle any household chore And I love the feel Of a stainless steel When we're rolling all around on the floor She's my it's all fun and we're trying to this the this business the record business now on this little level it's not really like the record business as it's ever been it's a it's a collectible racket it's like yeah. you're manufacturing these tchotchkes 
the, uh, the these kind of you know <laughs> souvenirs for people. And so, given that, we're just trying to make them as beautiful and interesting as possible, like beautiful objects. And that's really fun. I, the aesthetic of it is very, uh, it's very, it's very satisfying to uh, be able to pay so much attention to every little bit of the aesthetics, you know, like the integrated art design and the thickness of the vinyl and the color of the vinyl and how it matches the labels and how the, and uh, you know, it's, it's also, this is something that, I've been doing for many years with Chris Appelgren, who's been designing all this art and re, you know, reprocessing his own artwork that he's done. And, uh, we, it's something that we used to have, we had a great, we had a great, I don't know, working relationship when we used to do that stuff. The two of us, we would meet every week to talk about art and work on art and, and everything. And we're doing that again now, which is kind of cool, but we're also, because it's not, it's not so much, it's not the same kind of business. It's not like deadline, deadline, deadline. Oh, we got to get this together. We get, we're, you know, we got to cut these corners. We got to, you know, do it. We're not going to make a profit unless we, you know, skip this step and everything. And, uh, which is, that's the way it worked when the business was actually selling the music. But in fact, you know, we're, we're, uh, selling objet d'art so we can pay more attention to that. And um, it's a lot of fun for me. So are the new releases, when they come out, um, all the full lengths, are they going to have new art reworked or just kind of? Not, no, but uh, they, you know, that's one thing that has disappeared is all of those original files, the original, Hmm. you know, things they were, uh, I mean, it's possible some of them exist somewhere in some cases. But so it's going to be, uh, using the best resources we have to uh, recreate them or to reproduce them. I mean, we always have the the finished. We have the actual LPs, right? right. So mm-hmm. we can you can draw from that. But you know that we have some fun ideas about how to uh, you know make them special. Uh, there, I'm not gonna. I kind of want it to be a surprise, but there's some cool, <laughs> the, you know, the, the idea is you have, you have this classic almost in, you know, relatively speaking, iconic imagery, like say, you know, the love is dead album cover or the women who love them. Um, yeah. What do you call art, that, that is, girl? Cause we did a logo episode a couple weeks ago uh, and we didn't know what that was called. We, we, uh, we, we just call her the woman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the cutout silhouette woman or something. Yeah. Man. Classic. And so I mean, that's, a, that is great art. And there are a lot of possibilities of um, <laughs> presenting it in a, you know, in a cool way and augmenting it. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if you guys uh, remember, but, the original release of that was a was a format they call a CD five, and uh, which is a, a it was a C it's a CD EP that came in a little cardboard sleeve like an LP sleeve but it was CD size, mm-hmm. and it was very minimal which it suited this artwork but very much uh, not it didn't exploit the grandeur of it in the in in the same way as a 
12 inch square right. uh, field would have done. And that's what we're going to do. And that is pretty exciting. And I really love that art. And he, there's, there's, you know, many more surfaces that you have to work with, with a potentially with an LP and an inner sleeve and labels and an insert. Yeah. And we're going to, you know, you, the, we're just thinking of all the cool things we can do with it. Super cool. Hey, I just thought of something, Frank, and I got to ask you yeah. real quick. I've I've yeah. talked to a couple people about this, and no one ever picked up on this. And we, I think I mentioned it on an episode here before, but um, a love is dead, um, sackcloth and ashes. You have mm-hmm. the she looks pretty good in blue, and it's got the girl that's blue on the cover. Was there yeah. was that intentional to make her blue, or was that just co- completely coincidental? Um, well, you know the the opening yeah. track mentioned. Yeah, yeah. She's, it, well, so in the case of in the in that case, we had recorded the record already um, when that uh, when that when Chris did that design, and you'd have to ask him if he was specifically thinking of of the of the blue. But um, I remember we were we were looking at several possibilities of I don't know dark uh, romantic content, and um, you know. <laughs> Blue is tr- in our culture is very traditionally associated with with those feelings and such. Right. So it's kind of an obvious it's kind of an obvious thing. And there's something about that. It's, it's a haunting image, and it I don't know if you've ever seen the original ad that it was taken from, uh, which is out there on the internet because mm-hmm. I posted it. It's a an ad for soap Lux. And it's this, you know, it's this girl and she's got the the suds all over her face and she's and in the in the original ad it just looks kind of sweet and a little weird um and uh and then in the, the with that color filter on it it just it there's there's a there's a it there's an added uh twisted darkness about it that uh That's is awesome. really really cool to me but yeah uh the the entire the entire mood of that record is blue yeah and uh the uh, you know making the physical because the vinyl was blue too i mean just mm-hmm. making it blue 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 was uh yeah. was the the smart thing to do the appropriate hey, thing hey frank obviously mm-hmm. that's like a classic you know what's one of the most classic album covers on lookout to me but have you seen the Capitalist Kids, uh, that Sarah 7-inch? Yeah, yeah. Sarah, Sarah, mama bear, I swear a hair on my blouse couldn't equal one of you. Ooh, ooh. Sarah, Sarah, nobody can wear a pair of frameless glasses with a smart jacket like you can do. If you say that you'll be mine, I'll never pal around with terror. Sarah, Sarah, perfectly 
difference between a hockey mom and a pit bull? Lipstick. So, like, when you first saw it, what did you think? Well, um, I admire those guys a lot. And uh, when I first saw it, I was kind of proud of uh, of myself in a way because that's the first time anyone ever did that with something I, you know, a parody, a, whatever you call that. Yeah. We do it all the time, you know, how you make, <laughs> how you take the, you know, the, the baseball logo or you take the, the mm-hmm. to make a shirt or you take right. the, you know, I mean, we never did the Sgt. Pepper album cover, but many <laughs> bands have done that. So someone did it with Love is Dead. That was the first thing before I ever even heard it. I thought, ah, oh, this is, this is great. And then, um, I was, uh, very, uh, I, I, I tend not to be very optimistic when I, uh, put on a record from a new band, I have to say, I mean, new to me, um, just because I'm a pessimistic sort of guy, but I was pleasantly surprised with the, uh, how, how, uh, well composed the lyrics were. There were some really, uh, clever rhymes there. And then it was many years later. I mean, I, I interacted with him a bit. I think, uh, you know, he sent me that single and there was a letter in it and we had maybe wrote to each other a little bit and on the internet he's popped up, but I didn't meet him for real that I know of until we played a show with them a couple years back. And so I saw their whole set. They were a great band. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I was, I was very, I was very charmed by the fact that they did that. Yeah. Jeff, he, he cited you as one of his biggest influences when he did his, uh, Demi room episode. So yeah, I mean, well, you know, cause I, that was funny because, you know, maybe that's, that must be why I like him. Although that's uh, also kind of <laughs> ironic because, you know, when uh, truth be told, I kind of hate myself, but, <laughs> but the, uh, w- when, uh, when I was, uh, when, when we at that show and they were, they were playing and I said to my girlfriend, uh, now my wife actually, um, I think she wasn't my wife then. Um, I said, I said, Hey, I really like these guys. And she said, yeah, they sound just like you. So, oh, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess maybe that I mean, it's not rocket science, <laughs> right? but no, he's a, he's a, he's a nice guy. And I, I like his approach to things, which as you say, uh, the, the things that, I like about uh, songs, you know, he also likes about songs clearly. <laughs> and maybe he, you know, learned a couple of things from listening to people like me. He uh, did. And, you know, so that's cool. That's a cool thing. Yeah, it is. It doesn't remember, happen that often. When that record came out, I remember Jeff called me and he told me that he, that you had seen it. Uh huh. And I was like, oh shit, you know, <laughs> what, what did he say? And then he said, oh, he liked it. And I'm like, oh, and then I instantly thought, he can't, he can't sue you for this, right? <laughs> like, you know, we didn't know how you felt about that, so we figured it'd be cool. But yeah, no, I, 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 that, <laughs> you know, uh, number one, uh, you know, suing suing someone with no money is just not a thing that happens. I don't know. Maybe he's a secret billionaire, but I don't think so. Um, but no, there's you can't. I mean, that. I mean, yeah. that's, uh, that is that is fully legal i mean you know if you if it were it were it any other way then you know then everybody would be suing each other we used a lux ad for that you know so maybe lux should sue (laughs) the capitalist kids i don't even know if lux is still a company the ramones would have came after you for roadie ruin and shit yeah yeah i mean (laughs) 
you know, they say fucking uh, light bright. And all. They, <laughs> they, a, they always say, you know, Chuck Berry lunch boxes and all that shit. Is it Chuck Berry did sue or Chuck Berry's publishing company did sue the Beatles. But, you know, the joke is that he should have sued everybody. <laughs> you know, right. they're, they're, but it's yeah. a it that that is not how uh, that's not th- sensibly. That's not how the copyright system works. Uh, you you can't. Um, it's there's. You, uh, we don't want to get into the whole. I d- I do a lot of thinking about this copyright stuff and um, <laughs> like free use but, and all that shit. Yeah, and I've never. Um, well, anyway, I've I've never. Uh, I've never. I, could, I couldn't contemplate suing anyone in such a circumstance, even if there were some reason. But uh, especially you know, when they're like doing it as a tribute to you, you know what I mean? Well, it's a dick right. move to no, sue I mean, someone for that. All, it's just all fun. I mean, I there there are people that have. I, I've known people that have a, a different sort of attitude, but it's not like they think of it. Oh, I want to, you know. Because I'm sure the capitalist kids made all of, you know, hundred bucks off that single, if that. Um, and <laughs> I believe that that hundred dollars should be mine. But it's also, I think, sometimes people think of it as kind of uh, an insult to their grand legacy. Um, I when when uh, during the, uh, I I don't know, sometime in the '90s. My band played a show with this emo band. I think I'm, I'm identifying them them correctly, called the Juliana Theory or just Juliana Theory. I don't know if you ever heard of them. I've heard of them. Yeah. So it was one of those weird shows where we were on tour and we wound up playing in this hall with you know this band. It was kind of culture clash, our people and their people, uh, and so we had our merch store out on the table including the love is dead um and they the band juliana theory have an album called emotion is dead and so (laughs) their their fans just assumed that that we were this was some kind of snide attack on the juliana theory and you know they're like child like what do you mean by that what's this supposed to mean i just want you to explain what you mean by love is dead because emotion is dead it's emotion it's not love and you know so people take this stuff people take this stuff really seriously um to comic effect but you know it's, it's the world we live in that's crazy stuff so there was never any like static though, as far as copyright from like, you know, Kiss Lunchbox and Monkeys and all that shit on Milk Milk Lemonade. No, um, there wasn't. I that's one thing that I'm wondering about for the future. Uh, whether <laughs> I mean we 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 were flying really low under the radar then. I mean, in in you know, some ways, internet even, too, really. You know? Yeah. It, Right. In in some way, I was going to say we're lower under the radar now, but it's a lot, uh, you know, I, so I don't know what, I, I don't know what we would, what would, will have to be done with milk, milk, lemonade. Um, uh, I would like to think that it would be okay, but, uh, one never knows. Worst case, you put that on the inside. No one would even see it, you know? <laughs> Well, you know, it's Do funny when they have for the outside. This I I'm not going to I'm not going to identify the specific situation that makes me say this, but 
uh, it's there. Things like that have come up in the process of this, uh, reissuing these things and it's like it's all it's not someone is threatening to sue you it's like everybody involved in the chain of manufacturing this stuff is worried that someone's going to sue them so they are squeamish about touching you know about about having their fingerprints on it um and you know it's it's funny because these a lot of these records have been you know out for uh, long time. 30 plus years yeah. <laughs> whatever it is that was supposedly alluded to or appropriated and I would make the argument that 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 it's fair use in most of these cases but at any rate it was decades ago long past the statute of limitations as I, as far as I can see and so it but it's a it becomes it has become just kind of a rote version of uh, of of how you go about the day-to-day business of doing business and so it it has some surprising results sometimes uh you know that that the um some of these records have sold you know there's like 50 hundred thousand copies of them out there you know so it's like uh, uh a strange uh notion that the limited sounds radical 500 copy pressing yeah. um, is <laughs> is going to uh, suddenly cause you know, a problem yeah yeah but you know you never know this is all you learn something new every day about uh when you uh go about this stuff and uh, that's part of what makes it interesting yeah yeah hi we're the dick cracks from austria and you're listening to the dummy room dummy up So I don't know how long you've been married um, or been with your wife, but um, I was kind of wondering how long it took her to ask you uh, for a song. Like, <laughs> how long did you did it take you to write a song about your girl? Oh, boy. <laughs> um, what do you think those tapes yeah. are filled with? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I don't know, but I don't know how to answer how long. I mean, um, when- when you write, are you is it is it that personal to you, or is it kind of just a general thought in your head? Um, you know, it's it it's not a straightforward answer to that question because certainly you base your writing on your own life and your own experiences and observations. However, the thing that happens to turn that into a song is not necessarily related to it you know so you'll have a you'll have a an idea that it, that can be inspired by an experience you have but when you 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 say hey that that would make a good song title then that's a different process that you're doing if i mean i don't you could just have it all be a, a creed occur like a you know like you know uh lamenting your situation to the universe there that's a that that's a, a cer- certainly a, a a trajectory in art that uh has a lot of art but the the way that it works out best is if you apply a little bit of kind of discretion and a lot of editing um to it so 
Um, but to answer the question, there are, I do have a, 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 say a small handful of songs, more or less about her. Um, and, uh, I don't think I'm, I'm she's very pleased that that happened. She <laughs> she's been she she's was she was a fan of my songs and my band for going way way back. Um but uh yeah, um it wasn't like it wasn't made to order. You just know you know it's weird. It yeah. sounds kind of corny but you the the I I spend a lot of time diligently working on making the songs good and that is deliberate work. But that, but the, the other side of that is just kind of waiting for the song to come along because you can't force it or it usually doesn't work if you force it. So you're just waiting for the right thing to, to, uh, come up on you so that you have something to work with. And that is the part that is for me is kind of beyond my control. Cause if I try to do it, like if, if, uh, I mean, I've, I've done, I've done okay with, uh, with assignments before, but basically your wife saying, write a song about me. <laughs> and then you saying, okay, I'll, I'll get right on that. That's not going to be a good song. You have to yeah, have, right. it has to come from somewhere and, uh, it has to be, uh, you have to have a thing, you know, that where you're intrigued by it and then you want to follow where it goes. And that's where the interesting stuff happens. Yeah. So, Hey Frank, I've always wanted to know this from you, man. Like, I think you're one of the best songwriters in our bubble. You know what I mean? Just the way you are able... Like, do you, do you have a certain method, or does it vary from song to song? Like, or do you have these great lyrics, and then you figure out the melody? Does the melody come to you, and then you figure out these great lyrics? Like, what's your method, yeah. man? Well, you thanks, have... for the, thanks for the compliment. You're welcome. But yeah, man, any tips you got for all the songwriters listening, I'm sure we'd all appreciate it, you know? <laughs> I was just, I was just going to add to that. I was just going to ask, do you have, like, a notebook full of all these... Uh, these great lines that you come up with, these different, yeah. uh, what we call like MTXisms. <laughs> MTXisms. We call them Dr. Um, Frankisms yeah. too. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so yes, I do have a uh, very a large stack of notebooks <laughs> um, from over the years. Uh, and lately, though, most of that uh, activity is on a little, you know, file on my laptop but um yeah where and the the way that a song typically starts is i is basically i'll have an i a, it starts with a title okay and the title will be will the the good ones will be based on a sort of they will uh kind of embody and or suggest a conceit that will be the structure of the song. And so you think of the, of, uh, you know, you, you extrapolate from the title and develop from the title. How do you, how do you, uh, sort of, uh, elaborate and present this idea that the title embodies in such a way that it, that you sell it to the audience so that they get it and understand it. Sackcloth and ashes is a good example of that.
all my songs you can say start with the title and then what i then it's like uh just picking up a guitar and fooling around and it usually there's some sort of some sort of musical idea that's going to be suggested by or associated with the the uh the title and the structure, the conceptual structure that comes out of it. So you just play around with that. And in, you know, doing this for hours and hours and hours and playing the emerging song like 2000 times, eventually it uh, sorts itself into a sort of song. And then you have like, I usually have, you know, just uh, that, that part takes a long time, but then the actually fine-tuning the lyrics and you know you have the you have your structure with your verses and your courses and your bridge if there's a bridge and you're i'm i do it like uh like building blocks like you have a you you know what you want it to say you know that it has to rhyme you know it has to scan you plug in different things to see how they work and uh and then I mean, the, this method, so-called, means that you never actually finish a song. So, um, <laughs> but it, it, I, I know from talking to other people who write songs that the thing of playing it a million times definitely I have in common with most other pop songwriters, I would guess. But um, the what from what I gather, this kind of analytical 
way of constructing lyrics where uh, it starts with a uh, structure that is empty other than its conceptual structure. Like I know yeah. verse 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 A has to do this, verse B has to do this, and the bridge has to do this, and we have to arrive at verse C. And that I know that uh, without any words yet. And then you you know choose the the interesting things to put in there. Um, and then I do have like you say notebook of kind of fodder for this stuff. Um, although a lot of that, uh, is, you know, develops as you're trying to write the song and sometimes it doesn't work and you have songs that aren't that good, or you have ones that never, that you abandon and never get finished because, uh, it's kind of, uh, hit or miss whether, uh, all, because there is, if you someone just described, there's a whole bunch of things going on at once and having those integrate flawlessly is kind of a, uh, miracle in a way it really is that's awesome man it's like a a mini master class for you folks that are listening <laughs> to this take notes all right you want to write great songs <laughs> like frank he just gave you the basics yeah. good luck and, and yeah, yeah good and luck send me, send me a co- send me a copy i'd like yeah. to hear someone so um can we talk about revenge of sweet a little bit sure The answers in your eyes I've still got room for more lies But now you're walking away We had a lovely day You had to cast the spell record of course uh, as far as the songwriting goes um y- you know it seems album to album you kind of change it up a little bit um mm-hmm. definitely got a little bit uh you, you know love is dead was straight up just a pop punk record 
and revenge is is there but it, you know you got you added some different stuff in there I, yeah. i'm just wondering is that always intentional for you to to evolve a little bit on record to record or yeah yeah i i mean i in the case of revenge of sweet i wanted to i wanted to it to evolve more than what actually ended up getting put on tape uh i uh i feel i mean i never i never uh i never dwell on the uh, i mean now i'm dwelling on it because of the reissues but <laughs> generally i never dwell on the on the past things i never listen to it again after it's all done and i just want to you know move on to the next thing um revenge the revenge of sweet songs are very like very meticulously written they are that's probably that's probably the of that kind of song it's a high watermark of anything i've ever been able to do and um they it was uh it was my my idea was i wanted to write uh kind of i don't know what you tin pan alley uh sort of show tune kind of songs in a rock and roll context and that's an ambition that I had for a while. And that's the thing that many people try to do. Uh, um, well, not many people. There's a certain sort of weirdo that tries to do it. You could say Elvis <laughs> Costello tried to do it. Um, uh, and I'm you know, not saying uh, that he didn't do great records, but I don't think that uh, I don't think he managed to become, you know, the Gershwins. Uh, like he, he, I think he wanted to do, but I think for the, the, uh, context I was in it, those songs could not have been better. They were very, I mean, or I couldn't have done them better. Uh, and you know, I feel my, my, everyone loves that record. I like that they like it and I get why they like it. But, um, I think that the, the, treatment of the songs kind of smothered them a little bit and a lot of what was cool about them didn't really uh was it, it sort of got buried and that was a big disappointment to me because i there was all that put all these you know interesting cool chords that are you just can't tell because it's all <laughs> in the um <laughs> and uh you know it's not that i don't like that but i was i had a I had a grander ambition, so okay. it was a bit frustrating for me. But the, I can stand behind those songs. I remember when I went, I, I don't know if you've been looking at some of the things I've been posting on the internet, but uh, mm -hmm. when I first started, the basically the beginning of this MTX Forever um, project was back when I was uh, first putting the songs of lookout was gone and i under my own steam i was well chris applegram was helping me but we were putting them up on the putting this the music on the internet so you know with the service the orchard that distributed to you know itunes and uh i don't know if spotify mm -hmm. was around yet but um and so part of that process meant that i was you know we listening to this stuff again and i made uh some uh comments on the internet at the time assessing 
these records and the pros and cons. And it's kind of interesting to go back and, and, uh, and look at what I thought then versus what I thought now and et cetera. But one of the things, one of the comments that I made about revenge is sweet is I, I, is it is quite astonishing listening to five songs in a row and not feeling like I wanted to change one word of the lyrics. I mean, that is astounding to me. That's, that is the mark. I mean, that, that, that indicates, I reached the wall where I couldn't go any further <laughs> with lyrics. I think, you know, with that sort of, I mean, it was, you know, there's so much internal, the internal rhyme and the, the, uh, kind of, I don't know, uh, uh, uh stroke and counterstroke and conceptually and everything. It's just yeah. like, I, I really put, I really put a whole lot into it. And, um, sometimes, uh, 20 years later, you look at your, things that you spent so much time on and it's just almost incomprehensible to you but that was a case where i think it uh it worked and you know the the idea the fact that people still listen to a 20 year old record like that for fun is amazing to me and it's uh not nothing to take for granted so yeah i'm very happy about that but uh it's like an all-time classic at this point. You know what I mean? It really is. To people like us, it's like it's just one of oh, those yeah. records. But you know what? It's not have. everybody. It's not everybody's record that gets listened to. Not yeah. everybody's record from 1997. Exactly. You know? So, Super like cool. I said, I'm 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 very very uh, grateful uh, that it's still in the mix. You know. Uh, yeah. So uh, you know who knew who knew. So so that record was. I think, you know, maybe not, but I think it was kind of at the height of the Mr. G Experience's career, kind of at the height of Lookout Records. Um, was there, mm. like, some crazy expectations from them for that record by you guys? Um, After Love is Dead, were they, did they want another Love is Dead because of that they success? They did. They did. Um, and, and and they got it. I mean, it it was as close to love is dead too, as it was possible to be. And <laughs> yeah. it was, you know, the record sales of lookout records and, you know, uh, similar labels, uh, mm -hmm. were not enormous. I mean, they were once with the bands that went on to become actual rock stars, but that wasn't, the, that wasn't the norm, uh, but Love Is Dead was a sold. I think I think I think Re Revenge probably sold more than Love Is Dead actually, um, and they certainly spent more money on the recording uh, than anything else we had ever done, and then certainly than most of their records, uh, most Lookout records um, before or since in our case. Mm. Uh, but it wasn't. I mean, the expectation was just, uh, you know, they they felt that they that we were were not a bad investment because we were we worked so hard. So, you know, the a lot of the ways that these records were sold were at shows. So we would we were toward, we do, you know, a couple hundred shows uh, a year, <laughs> and so that was that was the the criterion. Um, and you know it was a lot of bands on lookout i mean there were the the big ones that 
uh, kept going on and on and on. But, you know, it was a, a lot of their records were just, a, you know, this band pops up for a brief, uh, you know, uh, moment of excitement and then kind of fizzles away. Uh, and we were kind of in for the long haul. <laughs> yeah. And we weren't trying to, we weren't trying to jump to, uh, to, uh, to bigger and brighter things at, at that time. We just, uh, I mean, for my, on my part, I, I realized that that situation was, uh, was, you know, as good as it was going to get for the Mr. T experience. So I just decided <laughs> to make it, to do as much with it as I could. So That's awesome. I was telling Jody maybe last week or the week before that uh, MTX and Lookout kind of were like the perfect relationship. Um, The artwork kind of changed together. It seemed to flow good. Um, Obviously, you were, you know, from the same area. You guys recorded in the same area. You didn't ever made it to Sonic Iguana like a lot of the other bands were doing. Um, You kind of were that constant thing for them. You had the most records on Lookout, I think. I'm pretty uh, sure. Maybe. I'm a screeching weasel. Um, I mean, it's hard to. It's hard to. Uh, they left though. I think. Yeah, yeah I it's hard to. We, it's hard to identify the lookout records of the screeching weasel catalog. They sure yeah. seem to have a lot of records though. <laughs> I think you beat them, but um, yeah, you guys were the essential lookout band. I always looked at. You know, you guys like that. Mm-hmm. Um. So just the you know you were there from early days and right to the end. Yeah, right and to uh, way, like was, la- we're the last. We were the last ones, the last holdouts. I think that uh, in the end, it was it basically in the end, it was just me and Chris, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and then Chris finally, you know, uh, that it was just me. <laughs> was that just because you guys were just buddies? And <laughs> uh, well, we we were, but also, you know, um, there weren't there weren't a uh, other um, labels clamoring to uh, seduce me to their, uh, to their team, you know? And so it was just, um, I, I think that there's two, that there's two sides to loyalty. One is, you know, your feeling of loyalty and the other is there's nowhere else to go. Um, (laughs) but I did, you know, that, that, the, the thing you're talking about with the, the, uh, how the, the music and the, conceptual stuff and the the art design and everything sort of evolved and flowed together that is completely a reflection of chris and my uh uh ongoing relationship and we were we were we had we were so on the same wavelength on how to do this and aesthetically uh it was right on in so many of these uh so many of these uh productions so uh and while you know it while it while it worked it was good but it was a it was a enterprise that was destined you know destined to crash because you you there you know even in the even in the world even in the best possible circumstances at the height of the music industry competing with the big guys is not really a thing you can do. And we were trying to do it. Lookout was trying to do it, uh, sort of trying to compete as an also ran. But then the music industry, the entire thing collapsed. Right. And then there was no, there. it was inevitable. So, and then everybody 
like in my case, you know, lookout went away. I fell silent for, uh, 10 years. Uh, a lot of, and you know, that everybody dealt with that situation in their own way, but there was just suddenly the thing where you would make a record and sell enough of them to pay for how much it costs to make the record was no longer a thing that could be done. So, uh, we had to stop. Yeah. Gotcha. Hey, I got a quick question too. This is a little bit, I mean, kind of off the subject, but how important do you think that Joel's background vocals were to the MTX sound that, you know, like the love is dead sound or revenge? It was, you know, it characterized, uh, the sound of, of those records and of the band for sure. Uh, uh, it was distinctive and, you know, it was, it was important. Um, the most important thing was the songs, though. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So he sang such great harmonies to your to your voice, though. I thought you guys just always locked in so perfect live, especially so cool. Yeah, it would. It was. It was. Uh, it was great. It was. It was. It was. Uh, it was uh, the best use of that minimal uh, instrumentation yeah. resources that you know. You got a guitar, bass, drums, and two voices. Uh, it's, it, there's there's not a whole lot you can do with it, but uh, but uh, yeah, if you you have to choose what you do carefully, is that where the choreography came in to kind of you know make you guys <laughs> appear even larger than you were, like larger than life or whatever? Well, it's just <laughs> if you want to, if you I, limited you know, choreography. I've, I've heard I've heard Z, I've heard the I've heard the guys from ZZ Top say this before. You know, it's just three guys on a big stage. You gotta right. Uh, give, <laughs> You got to give the audience something to look at. Um, People seem and, to really you know, dig it back then. Man. They it's do, cool. and they love it. They love it from ZZ Top too. I don't know if you've ever seen them, but when they do that, like strut thing, the, the yeah. crowd goes I wild. Know what you're so, talking about? Yeah, it's like when Kiss does that, like move at the end of Deuce and shit, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, I mean, showmanship is uh, is it's cool. uh, integral to rock and roll, and even if you are uh not cool guys you can do semi-ironic version of it and it's still better <laughs> than not doing it it was cool man i always thought it was pretty cool we had a good time hey since this is our halloween episode do you have any like did mcx ever play any crazy halloween gigs or do you have any like did you dress up on shit when you were a kid or what when i was a kid i used to i think i, I was always a vampire yeah um yeah uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we played a lot of Halloween shows, but which was, you know, the, uh, the audience were in costumes, but you know, never us, but I do have a ha- Halloween anecdote. Okay. So <laughs> I got to set it up by saying that, um, I, I live in this tiny apartment in Oakland. And, um, the reason this story happened is because uh, the unlikely circumstance that I acquired a pitchfork <laughs> that was not something that people here usually have. And I can't remember how it came into my apartment. I, somehow I had a pitchfork like leaning against the wall and it had been there for years. I almost didn't notice it. Okay. So the other thing about this story is um, I used to sometimes play, play either bass or drums with the ne'er-do-wells in their form of transition before they became the high fives okay and so i 
was playing at a party in Benicia with, uh, and it was a Halloween party. It was on Halloween. And this was, I wasn't wearing a costume because they were, for this show, they were dressing up as the Beatles. And for what that meant for us was uh, we, I, I wore a suit and right. tie and a wig. So um, I was waiting at my apartment for the band or John, the band and the band to pick me up to take me to the show with them. And uh, it's a much safer neighborhood now, but back in those days, it was a very iffy kind of a neighborhood with a lot of weird stuff going on. And one of the things that used to happen sometimes is that some like uh, hoodlum types would manage to get their way into the main part of the building and then just go wild running up and down the stairs and, (laughs) you know, and sort of intimidating everyone. And, and this just happened in the time when my being picked up by the, uh, high five by the Nerdwells was imminent. And so they, I was just thinking, Oh, maybe they'll go away. Maybe. But then just as I saw the headlights of the van pull up, I heard this, pounding on my door and this like yelling motherfucker motherfucker let let me in motherfucker and um uh, and uh so that w- this was a sort of this is a situation where you could get shot very easily <laughs> and um i really didn't know what to do i wanted to i i thought about maybe trying to climb out the window or something but in the end <laughs> i thought i'm just gonna have to brazen this out so um i grabbed the nearest thing I could think of, which was a pitchfork. Oh, shit. Uh, it was leaning against the door. <laughs> and I the, I don't know what those guys expected to see when the door opened, but a guy in a beetle wig and a suit holding a pitchfork was not it. And they were, they were uh, flummoxed, I think is the word, and actually started laughing, and that was enough of me to kind of you know go happy halloween and kind of like slide out the door (laughs) and um i do feel i'm lucky to be alive uh from that situation but um so the moral of the story is always carry a pitchfork (laughs) yeah i mean if you ever need to move some hay or it could save your life you know (laughs) could save your the pitchfork could save your life (laughs) totally that's great yeah, well, Frank, we'll uh, we'll let you go here. Uh, thanks for stopping by. It's uh, you're you're a true uh, legend to us, and uh, we appreciate you, everything you do, everything you've, all the songs you've given us, the books, everything. Thanks. Well, you're very kind. I appreciate it. Um, and hopefully, when we did our uh, um, the uh, MTX Forever thing, and we were kind of harsh on some of the early stuff, you didn't take it personally. I don't think you did. No. We're kind of like '93 to '97 guys. That's so. the way. That's the. I mean, that's the way it is. You know, if if people didn't have uh, strong opinions, then uh, you know, then then we wouldn't be doing this. So, I found it interesting. I listened to. It. I did find it interesting. I don't take. I don't take that kind of stuff personally. Um, the thing that I. I don't know if you say take it personally. The thing that I that irk. The only thing that irks me is when uh, people don't actually take the time to listen and a lot to listen to the, the, the songs because uh, a lot of times they will just dismiss the whole thing without actually 
having a chance to grasp what was interesting about it. And that does happen a lot. But man, you know, someone preferring one song to another, uh, I mean, it could not be otherwise. So, I yeah, I actually, I actually went back and listened to Night Shift like two weeks ago. Uh huh. Yeah, that that's a great record, actually. I really love that record now. So, I mean, I it liked has, it when I was really young, you know, but that was a long time ago. So it, it's got, you know, it's it. I mean, they all have their flaws in their they they all have their their uh, their pros and cons. I mean, that one, you know, has has a has quite a few flaws but i think that there that there's a you know there's a, a there it's got there it has its moments and there are certain points where it's got something and so you know i i've come i mean i i i used to just cringe at the thought of its very existence and now um that i've been you know i i'm i know my own i know our own catalog much, much better than I did a couple of years ago. Cause I've been listening to it all forensically. And, uh, it's, I, I've grown more fond of it rather than less, which is not what I expected. Hmm. That's cool. Well, I appreciate you just hanging out and giving us yeah, a, a little cool. bit of your time tonight. Um, thanks so much, yeah. man. So yeah. happy Halloween. Yeah. Happy Halloween, man. Yeah, and anytime you want to come back, Frank, just uh, yeah. let me know. Okay. We'll okay. have you. So. Yeah, let's do it again. This was fun. Cool. Okay. All right. All right, All right Frank. So long, have guys. a great night. Thanks so much. Yeah. You too. All Take right. care. Thanks, Bye. Frank. Bye-bye. Hey, this is Mikey Erg, and you're listening to The Dummy Room. Yeah, hey, man. That was cool. That's sort of a... Uh, talking to dr frank sort of like a, a bucket list thing for us oh yeah for sure yeah so it was really cool man yeah. i mean we're obviously uh between us lots of uh lots of years of listening to his songs definitely and uh yeah man that was that was awesome yeah i mean you know mtx is one of those you know one of the big bands in our especially in the lookout oh, yeah. scene you know they were one of the biggest the, the, and one best. of the, the Big three, right? Big time. <laughs> yeah, they always. Yeah, they've always been a uh, fun to watch, fun to listen to, and um, yeah, I didn't. I, I wanted to bug him. I could have fanboyed out way more, you know. Yeah, I could have too. Like, but I, I, I could just like listen to him, you know. <laughs> you ever notice that he sounds a little bit like Paul Stanley sometimes? I never <laughs> noticed that till tonight. <laughs> you think? All right. <laughs> <laughs> you imagine having all those tapes in your apartment? Imagine what all kind of cool shit could be extracted, dude. You imagine if you had the Love Is Dead tapes, it'd be like, just like a, a on your mantle. <laughs> that's like a masterpiece, you know, a, a focal piece. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that should be like in a museum, you know? Yeah. For future generations, man, preserve this shit because, I mean, that's an important record. Oh, it's it's one of the best records. Yeah. And yeah, I would love to, you know, just to be able to like, I don't know hold that thing and just the history that's in that it's cool yeah super cool i thought it was cool that um the 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 girl from the you know their their silhouette girl is just the woman yeah <laughs> you know it's like yeah their 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 mascot's just the woman <laughs> <laughs> that was he's, he's, interesting. A, he's a complicated um lyricist and just to call it the woman i thought was just really funny yeah yeah, man, but uh, totally fun. 
probably one of the highlights for me on our on our show so far. Yeah, it's like when we first started. Obviously, we'd we'd want to talk to Ben. We want to talk to Frank. Got to talk to Joe. Want to talk to Cody. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. We've been spacing them out or trying to. You know, <laughs> we didn't want to like do all our big hitters right off the bat. That's why we're kind of trying to, you know, get a little longevity out of this fucking show. Yeah. But uh, hopefully he'll come back sometime. You know, hopefully he doesn't hate this and uh, he'll come back and talk about, I mean, anything. I mean, we yeah. wanted to kind of talk about revenge uh, revenge a little bit, but... Um, right. Well, maybe we'll have him back and we'll know. do a classic record with Frank on revenge or something. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, we could do anything too. Alcatraz, man. Yeah. God. Yeah. Anything, yeah. But yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. Anyways. Jug- Jughead already did love his dad, so we don't want to do that one again. Yeah, but... It would be fun. It would be fun. <laughs> All right, man. But hey, I gotta, I gotta get out of here because tomorrow's coming quick. I heard that. So, All right, man. I'll, well, uh, thanks so much for listening, everybody, and go uh, get yourself all those MTX records if you don't have them. And it's, uh, it's Halloween, right? So yeah, happy Halloween. Go trick or treat and be safe. Yeah. I heard this. Uh, I uh, sorry to bring it up, but um, I saw this warning on the news talking about candy that were you know they were going to be laced you know like like thc candy or something like nerds or something like that so check hey. your candy and i thought nobody's giving that shit out no, no one's gonna <laughs> just give it away it's, people pay for that you know that's extra <laughs> yeah and if so, so yeah throw some my way i'll eat that shit so if you're lucky enough to get the i don't even know the <laughs> tainted candy handout uh, <laughs> i don't know what you would say it's a lot but, better than the you know Candy apple with a razor blade in it or something. Well, a little bit better than that, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it was fun. Halloween with uh, Dr. Frank. Yeah, pretty awesome. Happy Halloween, dummy room, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Boo. Boo. Halloween! <laughs> <laughs> Halloween! Halloween! Happy Halloween. Thanks for listening to The Dummy Room. Tune in next week for another fun episode. Goodbye and boo.